ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're, we are going to be in verses 1 through 17 today, talking about difficult trials. I'm sure nobody can identify with that at all. What do we do when we face difficult trials? Do we want them to get over quickly? Maybe go easier, be less painful? Are we in the mindset of let's do whatever we can to just get out of it as soon as possible? In today's passage, we're going to look at a time where Jesus went through some very difficult trials. And he did it on purpose, for us, for his mission, for us. We're going to learn a lot, I believe, I hope, I pray, about how we should face difficult trials in our own lives. So open up, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 4. And let's dig right in. Verses 1 and 2, as we understand what these trials, these temptations are that Jesus is facing. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So, the situation here is that Jesus has just been baptized. We we don't know exactly how long ago, but Matthew's linking these two things. Baptism, and now there's this trial, this testing. Jesus is led purposefully by God. That's what it means there when it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, person of God. God, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, is leading his Son into a difficult situation. This is not Jesus going about his day and finding himself in a difficult situation. This is Jesus purposefully walking toward a very difficult situation. To be tempted by the devil. Now there's a lot of questions we need to answer here. What does he mean by temptation? Is this a place where we might say, hey, Jesus, if he's tempted here, does that mean that he sinned? Let's be very careful. Temptation is not sin. Feeling the pull, having an opportunity to sin is not the same thing as actually sinning. God cannot sin. James 1 verse 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God is not trying to cause Jesus to sin here. We know, however, that God does allow Satan to tempt people. And he allows us to experience things where we may be tempted. If you can go all the way back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden, the serpent comes up and tempts Adam and Eve. Now, it doesn't say there that God caused that, that he allowed that, but we know throughout all of Scripture, God is sovereign. He certainly could have stopped it. The first two chapters of the book of Job is an interesting passage. Satan, the accuser, comes to God and God points Satan in the direction of Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan basically says, well, yeah, his life is great. That's why he serves you. And God allows Satan to cause difficulty for Job and to tempt him and to test him. And here we see with Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness 
to be tempted. Now let's, I think a helpful differentiation here is between tempting and testing. Tempting and testing. Now I want to be careful this difference is not in the original language. These words are used interchangeably in the Greek language, tempting and testing. However, I think in our English understanding, it's helpful to separate these two. God does not tempt us to do something evil. He's not trying to get us to sin, but Satan absolutely is. Loves to do that. I would say maybe lives to do that. That's his favorite pastime. Tempting someone to evil is to hold up something evil or wrong and to try to get the person to give into it. Think about it this way. If you have a friend that's really, really health conscious and you know that person has been working for months and months exercising and dieting and and you're just, how should I say it? You're kind of sick of it because they're just over the top, right? We all know those people. And you've got a donut. Big, thick, gooey, dripping donut. And you run into this person and you hold up this donut. Hey, I've got a donut you could have. And in your heart, you're like, har, har. Now, you want that person to feel bad. And you would love for them to take the donut so that you could laugh at them and mock them. That is tempting to evil. You want the person to fail. That's the way Satan approaches us. Satan wants us to fail, to fall, and to be humiliated. Why? Not because we're so important, but because Satan hates God. And the best way to make God look bad, in Satan's mind, is to make us look bad. So he is constantly... Now, understand Satan is not everywhere at once. When people say, oh, I'm being tempted, Satan's tempting me, Satan's a busy guy, he can only be in one place at a time, he's not God, all right? He works through other avenues, and the truth is, apart from Satan, we have enough temptation in our own life, we don't necessarily need Satan to add to it. But this is Satan's main goal, to make us look bad by causing us, tempting us, enticing us to fail. Now, God allows temptation. But there's a difference. His purpose is not to see us fail, but to see us succeed. It is a test because when we succeed, our faith grows. So the same situation can be used by Satan as a temptation to cause us to fail, but have the purpose of God to cause us to succeed, to be made stronger and to grow. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, And all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while now you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's that testing, that refining purpose of God in our life. But now we're dealing with Jesus Christ. Can Jesus even be tempted? Can he experience temptation? And the answer is not easy. It's twofold. It's yes and it's no. (laughs) Can Jesus be tempted? On the one hand, no. Jesus cannot sin. It is 
literally impossible for Jesus to sin. There is no possibility for Jesus to have ever have sinned. James chapter 1 verse 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. We'll come back to that in a second. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Now who's Jesus? He's God. Can God be tempted by evil? No. Okay, so there's the no. As God, the Son of God, Jesus feels no desire to evil. He knows all things, heaven and earth. And he sees evil for what it is. And there is no desire, there is no draw there for him whatsoever. However, there is a sense in which Jesus can experience temptation. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So in his deity as God, he cannot possibly sin. There is no desire there for him. But as a human being, especially in this setting, how long has he been without food? 40 days. I don't think I can go without food for more than about six or eight hours. I could not imagine 40 days. I couldn't imagine a day or two. 40 days. Do you think in his flesh, in his, and I just mean his skin and his bones, his body, is he hungry? Absolutely, it says he was. Satan's going to come and say, hey, there's a way for you to get food. And his body... Needing food feels that pull. I need that food. And Hebrews says that he was tested or tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I found a really helpful illustration. This was quoted by David Platt, um, but it's from a guy named Russell Moore. It's a little twisted, but I think it helps. Think of someone you love dearly, more than anybody else in this world parent, spouse, a child, really close friend, someone you love dearly. You got that person in your mind? Now answer this question, not out loud, especially because that person might be here. Could you murder that person? Don't answer out loud. Well, no, don't do it. Is it physically possible for you to murder that person? I suppose, in a twisted, distorted sort of way, sure. Would you ever want to? (laughs) The answer there should be no, okay? Just in case. No. Okay? Jesus was physically able to sin. In his physical body, he felt the pull of physical needs as a human man. However, He was spiritually unable to sin. He knew beyond any shadow of any doubt that his way, God's way, was better than anything else. He would never, ever sin to accomplish his goals. Which brings us to a theme that Matthew is playing on here in this chapter and throughout his gospel. Throughout scripture, God's people are called to follow and trust God and his ways. And yet throughout scripture like us today, they fail. They stumble. They struggle. Think of Adam. 
in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, in, in the, the genealogy of Jesus that, that Luke gives us, Luke calls Adam the son of God because Adam was created directly from God. Now, different than Jesus being the son of God, but he uses that phrase. Was Adam ever, t- ever tempted? Absolutely. Was Adam tempted by food? Yep. Was Adam tempted by Satan? Yes. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve fail. They give in to the temptation. Even though they live in the perfect setting where they have everything they need, they give in to temptation. Think of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, Israel is called as a nation the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? We see Israel come through the water during the crossing of the Red Sea, often equated with a sort of baptism. We see them tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you see the themes? We see them grumble because they don't have food. They are hungry. They are struggling. And every passage that Jesus is about to quote in relation to the temptations from Satan, every single answer that he gives comes out of that time in Scripture when Israel is being tested in the wilderness. Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He is desperately hungry. He is led by the Spirit to a place where he is in great need. This is when the temptation will be the strongest. This is when the excuses could come very easily. What about us? Adam was created to trust God and he failed. Israel was created to trust God and they failed. I think we need to learn that temptation is a serious struggle for us. Never take it lightly. And understand in times of greatest need, we will be weak and we will struggle. And it is at those times that we need God's strength the most. There is a spiritual aspect to this whole thing. Things that we cannot see. A spiritual attack that goes on in our lives that we may even be unaware of. But how much more so do we need to draw near to God and to trust Him? God had declared right after the baptism of Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And look at the very beginning of the temptation of Jesus. Verse 3 of chapter 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. He starts right in to question what God has said. So let's look at these temptations. Let's look at how Satan is going to call what God has said into question. And what Jesus is going to do about it. The first temptation, I'm calling it the I want it temptation. Verses 3 through 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan comes right in and says, If you are the Son of God. Now, some people have said, Well, maybe Jesus doubted this. And Satan's playing on that doubt. I don't think so. There is never any case where Jesus doubts who he is, as far as I know. I think what Satan is doing is saying, if you really are the son of God, you should not have to suffer and struggle and be hungry. 
If you're so great, why are you here starving? And beyond that, you have an easy way to get out of this. You could turn these stones to bread and easily make yourself full and have no struggle at all. Now, let me ask you some questions. Think through these things. Did Jesus have a real need to eat? Yes. He went 40 days without food. This is a real physical need for him. I would say maybe even a desperate need at this point. 40 days without food, you're kind of on the verge of death. It's a serious situation. Did Jesus have a desire to eat? Did he want to eat? Absolutely. Chapter 4, verse 2 said, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Did Jesus have a right to eat? Was it well within his rights to have something to eat? Absolutely. There was no law against eating. There was no law against eating bread. Did Jesus have the ability to eat? Yeah. Could easily turn the rocks into bread and eat. Jesus could have used his power as the Son of God to satisfy his own desire and need. Could have done it. This same phrase, if you are the Son of God, is used in Matthew 27, 40, when Jesus is on the cross and the crowds are taunting him. If you really are the Son of God, come down off that cross. Because the Son of God should never have to go through that. Get yourself out of this situation, Jesus. Show that that's who you are. If you are really so great, you should not have to suffer. Friends, listen very carefully to this. This is something as Christians we need to hear today and we need to cling to. Having a need, a desire, a right, or an ability to do something does not make that thing right. Let me say that again. Having a need, a desire, a right legally, or an ability to do something does not make that thing right. This is how our contemporary world views things. Well, I want it. Therefore, it's right for me. Well, I need it. Who are you to stop me? Well, the law says it's okay. Therefore, it must be right. That is not the word of God. Let me read for you another quote from David Platt. This one's rather lengthy, but I think very helpful. David Platt writes, This is the place where Satan works, at the level of our wants. You desire food and he tempts you toward undisciplined overeating. You desire sleep and he tempts you toward apathy and laziness. You desire sex and he tempts you toward such sins as lust, pornography, adultery, and homosexuality. And at the core is a desire for self-gratification that says, God is not providing for me in the way I want, so I will seek my own gratification apart from him. Satan tempts you to fulfill God-given wants apart from God's will. The enemy is so deadly in the way he attacks our desires. He has convinced many followers of Christ that their desires for sin define who they are. But that is not true. Christian, you are a child of God. And just because you are his child does not mean you will never want something that does not accord with God's will. You will fight some temptations for 40 days, in some cases 40 years. You may even have to battle your entire life. So how do you win day after day, year after year? You do 
what Jesus did when he was hungry. Jesus trusted the all-satisfying, all-sufficient goodness of the Father. Don't tell God when and how your desires should be fulfilled. Trust God to fulfill your desires in his way according to his word. I'm spending some extra time on this because I think this is the contemporary issue right here in our culture. In our culture, desire or want is then turned into need and that becomes truth. And as Christians, lovingly yet firmly, like the Son of God, we must go back to Scripture and say no. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus fights temptation with Scripture. I think this is one of our struggles as modern Christians. It's one of the reasons church after church after church is giving in to modern ideas contrary to the will and the word of God because we don't know the word of God. And if we do know it, we've given up trusting it. We're trying to find our own way. Jesus fights temptation with scripture. Knowing God through his word puts temptation into perspective. Rather than just looking at the thing we want and saying, I want it, here's all the reasons why I want it. The word of God opens up our eyes and says, but here is my God and who he is and what he has done for me. And knowing God gives us perspective on the temptation that is pulling at us. Let me read for you the full quote. This is where Jesus is getting this from. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 5. And I've underlined some similarities. So you can see why Jesus is quoting this. God is speaking to the Israelites. After their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they're about to enter the promised land. They're right on the doorstep. And he's giving them the law again. That's what Deuteronomy is. The second giving of the law. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. God goes to the Israelites and he says, I have cared for you. You know this. I have taken care of you this whole time. You know this. Remember that what you need even more than food, and not just any food, bread. This was the basic food. If you had nothing else, you would have bread. Even more than the most basic food, we need the word of the Lord. Ultimately, Jesus fights this temptation by knowing that he needs God's word more than he needs food. That should blow us away. Because if that is true for Jesus, who is called the word of God in the Gospel of John, if he needs the word of God more than food, guess what, friends? We need the word of God more than anything else. 
wanting something, even needing something, does not make that thing right. We must allow God's word to determine what is right and what is wrong. Let's move through the other two temptations. We'll pick up the pace. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, there's that phrase again, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, the devil's catching on to how Jesus is playing this game. And the devil's going, I I can quote scripture too, Jesus. Here's one for you. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Basically, Satan takes Jesus up to a high part of the temple and says, jump, you'll be fine. God promises he will catch you. You will not get hurt. What Satan says here is absolutely true. He is not misquoting scripture and he is not misapplying it. It is true that if Jesus was to jump off of that, God would send his angels and catch him and he would be okay. It is absolutely true. So what's the temptation here? Jesus gets it. In verse 7, he says, he cuts right to the core of the issue. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Satan wants Jesus to prove that he really is the son of God. Just prove it. Ever had that thought to God? God, if you would just prove it to me. If you could just do this, then I would trust in you. If you would just do this, my brother, my sister, my mother, my uncle, they would trust in you. My neighbor would trust in you. If you would just prove it to them. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus would just prove that he is the son of God? Now, Jesus didn't need to prove this to himself. There was no temptation there whatsoever. Some have theorized that Satan took him to this place in the temple because there would be a crowd gathered there and by doing this it would prove Jesus to them. It's possible. It's not really in the text, but it's possible. But at the heart of it is this idea of testing God, asking him for proof. And Jesus cuts to the core and said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And look at that little phrase there at the beginning of verse 7. At the beginning of Jesus' quote, it is also written. Jesus here is applying a very important rule in understanding, interpreting, and applying Scripture. We need to learn this rule. It is that Scripture interprets Scripture. It's not our logic. It's not our background. It's not our own ideas. The starting point for understanding the Word of God and correctly applying it is always the Word of God. Now, guess what you need in order to use that rule? (laughs) Kind of like the first one, you need to know the Word of God. In order to correctly understand and apply Scripture, we need to know Scripture. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture because, and this is what Jesus is hanging all of his idea on here, God does not contradict himself. 
And so Satan is applying a scripture, but Jesus is saying, wait a minute, it can't be used here because you are causing me to put God to the test. And God says, don't do that. This passage that he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 refers back to Exodus. Jesus comes, or I'm sorry, God tells the Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land, don't put the Lord your, your God to the test as you did at Massa. Jesus doesn't quote that part. It, that Massa refers back to Exodus 17. People are thirsty in the wilderness. There's another link. They doubted that God was with them. They doubted that God was leading them, and they blamed Moses. They'd kind of given up on God, and now they're saying, Moses, it's your fault. You brought us out here to die. Underneath all of this doubting is the question, is God really here? If he was really here, he should prove it to us. And God brings water out of solid rock. And the passage states, they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us? Or not. And 40 years later, give or take, as the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, God tells them, don't do that. Don't test me again. Jesus realizes that that's exactly what Satan is trying to get him to do. To demand some sort of proof. To give some sort of verification. And Jesus' response is a choice to trust God rather than demanding proof from God. Now you might think, what's the big deal? I just, I want my faith to grow. I want it to be made stronger and some proof is good. Doesn't God ever give proof? Absolutely he gives proof all the time. There is proof for our faith, absolutely. What's wrong is to demand it and make your faith conditional on it. That's wrong. Because think what you do when you demand proof from God. Who becomes the judge and who is put on trial? When we demand proof from God, we put ourselves in the place of the judge and we put God on trial. That's not a good idea. (laughs) That is messed up. Who do we think we are? Now, we are not capable of, nor are we worthy of judging God. And so Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the implication there is we just need to trust. Now there's, as we go into the third temptation, there's a progression there. First, are we going to meet our own needs, our own way, our own desires, or are we going to trust God? The second is, is God going to meet our needs? Is God going to prove himself to us? And the third gets right to the core of the matter, who are we trusting? Look at verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. At the core of this is an idea of I deserve something and I deserve it now. Jesus' mission was to be king over the world. His destiny, destiny was to be worshipped and glorified. Satan is offering Jesus a way to accomplish this without going to the cross. 
Satan is offering a shortcut. Jesus could have all he wants without any suffering, without any struggle. He could skip right to the good part. There's just one catch. Jesus must bow down and worship Satan. I believe in many ways this temptation is is the culmination and the summary of the first two. At the heart of all of these temptations is the temptation to trust in something other than God. Whether it's ourself, our own ways, the proof, or whether it's even Satan and idolatry. Asking God to prove himself is putting ourselves in the place of God and worshiping something other than God. Meeting our own needs in our own way is idolatry. Worshiping something other than God. The third temptation here just removes all pretense and cuts right to the heart of the matter. Satan is directly challenging Jesus to worship something other than God. And Jesus' response, again, he quotes scripture. And it's the same passage he quoted earlier. Here he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the fuller passage, starting in verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for it is the Lord your God who is among you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Jesus is quoting this passage because here God makes it clear, worshiping anything other than God most high is a big deal. It's not just a personal life choice. It's a major deal. There's a strong warning here to the Israelites. Don't follow anything other than God. And Jesus plainly tells Satan, get away from me. I will not worship anything and serve anything other than my Father, God Most High. This is what living a life of worship looks like. Trusting God. Following Him. Day after day after day. Here's our struggle, I think. We get to this place where we say, I deserve better. Our culture comes along and tells us all the time, you deserve better. So just take the easier route. You don't need to go through the struggle. The interesting thing is that Jesus actually did deserve everything that Satan was offering to him. In fact, in many ways, it was already his. The kingdoms of the world were his. He created them. And one day we know, according to Scripture, they will all bow down and they will worship him. Everything that Satan offered to Jesus were going to be his anyway. But Jesus knew something. This could only be accomplished through the suffering of the cross. There was no shortcut to that glory. We need to be careful. We need to be careful of the I deserve this attitude. Because in the back of our minds, and maybe in the front of our minds, we need to constantly remember, I am a sinner. If Jesus, who was perfect, would not take the easy way out, how much more so us who are imperfect? Friends, we live in a world of shortcuts, which makes it easy to avoid pain or inconveniences. The side effect of living in this world is that we are tempted to believe we are in control and to trust in our own control constantly. That is a form of idolatry. 
Now notice verse 11. This is so beautiful. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. What was the first temptation? You're hungry. What do you think the angels gave him to attend to him? They gave him food. What was the second temptation? Put yourself in a difficult position and God will save you with his angels. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. Here in this difficult situation, what does God do? Saves him with his angels. Isn't that beautiful? All these temptations that Satan came to give to him, God says, no, I am going to give you those things, but in my way. Trust me. This is true for us as well. Jesus promises us throughout Scripture to be with us. It's all throughout the book of Matthew. It's where it all ends. Surely I'll be with you always to the very ends of the earth. And yet we come to God and say, prove it, prove it. I need to know you're with me. We have the proof. It's in the promise from the Son of God. We are promised eternity in heaven with every need met. We know our struggles now are temporary. Struggles, the pain of this world. Viruses, sickness, death will pass away. We need to focus on this final temptation and ask ourselves, who are we worshiping? Finally, verses 12 through 17. When Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm not going to spend much time on this. The main thrust of what Matthew was pointing out is this phrase here, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The region of Galilee was predominantly Jewish, but a lot of Gentiles live there as well. And there's a theme throughout Matthew that while Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, he came for us all. And he ends with verse 17, which is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The same message that John preached before. This is how Jesus begins his ministry, calling people calling you, calling me to turn away from our own ways, those things that are pulling on us in the wrong direction and to turn to God in his way and his kingdom and to trust him. This is the way that Jesus makes possible through the cross and his death and the resurrection, the kingdom of heaven. Guys, in this world, difficult trials will always be present. What's our attitude going to be in those things? Are we going to look at it as a temptation that we just need to get out of? Let's just find the quick way and the easy way to get out of it. Could we as Christians also look and say, God might have a purpose for me in this? And while it's hard, I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to search scripture. And I'm going to surround myself with others who know God's word and can speak truth into my heart. Because if I have to go through this, I want to be made stronger, not weaker. Jesus has set for us an example. Before calling us to trust in the kingdom of heaven, he was willing to live this out for us, to trust in God's way even 
and especially through suffering. We need to remember that our desires are not the standard of truth. Somebody wanting something does not make it right for them. Us needing something does not even necessarily make it right for us. And God does not have to prove anything to us. We must never allow ourselves to think that we are in control. And we must never seek the shortcuts to accomplishing God's plans. Difficult trials will come. Are we going to give in to those temptations? Or are we going to seek the Lord's will and may be made stronger through the difficult times? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, these are hard truths. We want to hear and dwell upon you rescuing us from difficulty. We want to hear about you making things right and easier and comfortable. And God, there are those promises throughout Scripture that you care for us. But there are also these challenges that difficult times will come. And I praise you for the example of your son Jesus right here at the beginning of his ministry where he endured, where he trusted in and called out and quoted your word, applying your truth to these difficult situations. Father, may we be able to do likewise. May we be so saturated by your word that when we are poked and prodded through temptation, it is your truth, your word that spills forth. Father, may we have such a great and wonderful picture of who you are through the power of your word that temptations are kept in perspective. And Father, as we watch now through the Gospel of Matthew, the public ministry of our Savior and your Son, may we take to heart this call to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.